Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. I'm in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This is a very popular passage to be read this time of year in Christian churches. And I find a lot of signage around in Christendom and in our society that sometimes you'll just see the word peace, maybe in a decorative cursive, you know, on a sign or something like that. And it started me wondering, what do people mean when they talk about peace? You might say, well, here's this declaration of peace on earth, and yet I see that Russia and Ukraine are fighting one another. That doesn't sound like peace on earth. I see that the Palestinians and Israel, they're fighting one another. Is that peace on earth? I've heard that China may attack Taiwan. That doesn't sound like peace on earth. Some might want to throw stones at this declaration of peace on earth. And there might be some reason to do that, provided you misunderstand what is meant by the peace that is in view here. This is not talking about across the horizontal plane that there's going to be peace in our natural lives in this season of history between men. History is rife with examples that prove that point. That is not the peace that's being declared here at this particular time, nor in the time of our lives, although that is coming. There's a day coming when we're going to have that sort of peace. This is talking about peace between God and His chosen people. This is the peace that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the peace that God's people can have when they sit under the sound of the gospel, believe it, and obey God by joining the kingdom of God and fellowshipping with His people. We have an understanding of this peace through the gospel that is published to us. Now if you go back a little bit to the previous chapter, the end of chapter 1, we find these things said of John the Baptist. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like a John the Baptist kind of phrase, right? to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. You see that? To give knowledge of salvation. He's not dispensing eternal salvation to people. Gospel ministers don't have that role, and if they claim to, they have overstepped the bounds of their office. But if they understand the gospel, they can dispense information to those who have ears to hear so that they can enter into the joy and the peace of knowing what Jesus Christ has done. You see, some of the earliest 
points of New Testament gospel ministry with John the Baptist. We have men imparting information about the Savior. You see, news does not determine the events. The events are determined, and if news is any good, it's reporting that accurately. Right? That's the purpose of gospel ministry, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. In other words, it's telling people, Jesus Christ put your sins away at Calvary. That's the information you need to know to understand, I am at peace with God. You see that? Telling you that doesn't make it so. It simply makes it so that you understand that it is so. Right? If I tell you God created this world out of nothing, does you believing it make that true? It does not make it true. It is true, and you believing it puts you in line with the truth so that you can enter into the joy and peace and understanding of an all-powerful God who could do something like that. Verse 78, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. That's talking about the sort of instruction you can receive in the kingdom of God. We're imparting light from the pulpit if you're willing to receive it. We're not giving you eternal life. But if you have the eternal life that can perceive spiritual light and can understand the truth, you can see that there's light coming from the Word of God and we can build you up in that and help you to understand it better and enter into more of the peace of it. This is the purpose, really, in many respects of the New Testament gospel preacher. We're going to try to show you some light of the truth, right? To give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. So that was kind of how it was going to be set up for John the Baptist, one of these early preachers of the gospel. The one who said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This was how his ministry was set up. He's supposed to be imparting light to people who have the spiritual perception to receive it, embrace it, and understand it. Now, if gospel ministry is to instruct you and give you light on it, and if there is a declaration of peace on earth that is made here, and we've already recognized it can't be the peace that many of us think about. It's not that we're free from war and there's never going to be civil conflicts and civil wars and international disputes and all these sorts of things. That's not what's being talked about. What is the nature of this peace that is declared in the gospel? Well, you want me to just make it up for you? I could. It's happening all over Christendom, by the way. You can make up a lot of different things about it. But why don't we get it directly from the Word of God? Amen. I want to look at six things that are mentioned that describe this peace that is declared in the Gospel to us. It is a peace with God, right? I hear a lot of people in Christianity say, well, you know, I, I had this religious experience and I made my peace with God. You didn't make nothing. You have misunderstood the gospel. I'm not saying you're not a beneficiary of God's saving work. I'm saying that you have misunderstood the nature of the transaction. You follow me? We don't make peace with God. Amen. God made peace with us. The gospel declares it, and when you hear it declared as a finished work, you can receive it, believe it, and enter into the rest of knowing that. Okay? 
So it's a peace with God that was accomplished by God. It's a peace of mind. It has to do with how you think about things and how you interact with the world that is around you. There's a different mindset that you should have as you confront the world with the mind of Christ, right? And understanding what He's done rather than just wiling out there in the world, kind of making it up as you go. It should give you peace of mind and direction in how you live your life. It's a published piece. I'm reading you these things today. I'm going to give you these things from the publication. This is the, the good news book. Okay? This is where it comes from. It's published. It's available for us to explore and understand and share with others. But we get it directly from the Word of God. It's an abiding peace. In other words, it's not just some abstract idea. There is a kingdom of God in the here and now that you can enter into where you have the fellowship of people who understand this truth and can build you up in the knowledge of that truth and help you experience it on a day-to-day level. You get out there wilding in the world, just running around with a bunch of folks, don't have any thought of this peace of God, you're out there wondering how they're going to try to find some kind of satisfaction. I mean, Mick Jagger had enough sense to say, I can't get no satisfaction. You look around and it's not out there. Evidently sort of a carnally minded man, and he's like, I don't know how to be satisfied. And if you're not satisfied, you're not at peace. But there's a peace that attends the people of God, and you will find it, be built up in it, and experience it in the kingdom of God as you press into the kingdom and build relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a given peace. You know, peace is an attribute that you are given, and we're going to see that. But you know what? Just because you're given something doesn't mean that you have properly cultivated it. You might have a field that has lots of potential to produce vegetables and fruits and things like that. But if it has not been properly cultivated, it is not going to bring forth what it could potentially bring forth, right? But that peace is given, and very importantly, it is an accomplished peace. You all came to church today, there's a building here, you had to walk into it. You had to enter into it. This church building is an accomplished building. It's been built. It's ready for you. The blessings that occur within here require you to walk through that door. But the building is accomplished. It's something that is there for you. It's a finished work. And yet, you can experience more of it to the extent that you enter into that accomplishment and embrace what all it means. Let's look quickly at those. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 5. We're going to spend a fair amount of time just flipping through Romans. In some respects, you might even consider this sermon a quick survey of the notion of peace in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, we're talking about peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith is that which receives the gospel declaration that you are justified by the work of Christ. That's what justification by faith means. It doesn't mean Jesus' work was waiting for you to ratify it by faith in order to be effectual and eternally justify you. No. You were justified by the blood of Christ at Calvary. You can receive that by faith because therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, 
You had to have faith to receive that declaration. And upon receipt of it, you now have cognition of the reality that you're justified by what Christ did. That's what justification by faith means. It's peace with God accomplished by what God did. You see that? You see why the gospel is good news? That's a good news declaration. Especially when you've got no ability to make this reconciliation on your own. You've got no ability to make peace with God. Isn't it good to hear that God has made peace with you? What a blessing that is. It's peace with God. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Faith is that capacity we have to believe and receive this truth and enter into it, right? And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see that? You didn't have to get yourself godly to some requisite level so that then you could get the eternal salvation. Jesus Christ looked at you and said, Here's one that is ungodly, and I'm going to die for him. In spite of the fact that you've got no inclination to have any love or affection towards him. That's the nature of the transaction. That's why when people say, well, I've made my peace with God, I want to respect the attitude there, because I think what they mean is something along the lines of, I had a good feeling towards God, and I wanted to repent of my sins and follow God. I admire and respect that experience. I don't deny that it's a spiritual experience. But I'm telling you that the understanding of it that says, when I did that, I made peace with God is incorrect. The fact that God made peace with you is why you ever had that inclination to want to have a relationship with God in the first place. You see, God works long before you ever have any thought of God. You say, well, I'm not really sure. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us. This is how God shows his love towards you. How does he do it? I waited until you did something good towards me, and then I said, now I love you and save you. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, this was done before you ever had any cognition of anything of this sort. You say, well, how could that be? That's because that's the nature of the love that God has for His people. He loved them in spite of what they were, and then He came in and fixed their problem. For any today who might come in and say, well, I came in and I made my peace with God. I'm kind of upset that you've launched out against this. I'm telling you there's a greater truth to enter into here. I understand that you desired a peace with God. I'm telling you, you could never make it, and the fact that you desired it is evidence that God made it before you ever had that thought. That's the truth. Very rarely heard in Christianity today, but that's the gospel truth. God does with His world as He sees fit. That means He regenerates His people and gives them spiritual sensibility before they ever exercise any spiritual capacities in their life. Rather than offending, that should give you great hope. It's like, wow, 
You mean I'm not relying on how good my good thing was that I thought I did to make peace with God? That's right. You're not relying on that. You're relying on the Lord. He is the rock. His work is perfect. Your work never is. You want to rely on a perfect work or you want to rely on a half-baked something you did that you felt pretty good about one day? Stand on the rock. Stand on Jesus Christ. So it's a peace with God. Turn over a couple pages. Romans 8, chapter 1. It's a peace of mind. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. See, if you're just in the flesh, all you're ever thinking about is fleshly things. You don't have any spiritual thoughts whatsoever. None. That's a state of some, some of humanity. They literally have no spiritual sensibility. By the way, if you had some thought of, I need to do something, I really want to try to do something to be pleasing to God. If that's a sincere thought, that's a spiritual thought, right? That alone proves that you had spiritual life before you ever did the thing that you thought got you eternal life in the first place. Important to see that. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want to enter into this gospel peace? Be spiritually minded. Be what you are in Christ. Think about things the way the Lord tells you they are rather than how religion tells you they are, or how you think that they ought to be. Think about them as God would have you think about them. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. If all you have is a carnal mind, you have no thought of how you're going to try to submit to God, or why would you want to please God. You have no thought of God whatsoever, right? If you have those thoughts, I want to be pleasing to God. I want to know God. I want to come to experience Him more in my life. I want to have a relationship with Him. Those are all spiritual thoughts, and they're an indication of your spiritual life. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. That's saying if you're born again and you have these spiritual sensibilities, you're a spiritually minded person. That doesn't mean you always act in accordance with your spiritual mind. We're still in a battle with the old man and we still struggle with sin in many ways. But it doesn't change the fact that you have the mind of Christ in you and you have the ability to enter into what's being said here and experience the joy and peace that's associated with it. That's the mindset we are to have. We're to think about things in that way. It is a published piece. Over in chapter 10 of Romans, we find this very common statement, and how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel is referred to as a gospel of peace. You have to understand that peace. It's that peace of God that has been created by the person and work of Jesus Christ by covenant on your behalf. Preaching the gospel of peace is putting people in contact with the knowledge that Jesus Christ has done this work. He has created the peace. You had no part in it. 
By the time you ever had any interest in it, you were already a beneficiary of it. Now you can become a disciple and begin to learn the things that are taught in the Word of God. And you can enter more fully into the love of God. There's a lot of children here today, and I have children, and I love my children. I've always loved my children, and I don't have to explain that to parents. Y'all are looking at me like, yeah, we get that. Did, did your child have to do something towards you, some good thing that somehow affirmed that they loved you in order for you to start loving them? I mean, you're all kind of shaking your heads out there. I mean, that is so evidently true. We loved those children before they were ever even born. When they were in the womb, you know, hey, look, that baby's kicking. We love that child. Parents get that. We get that. All of us are the produce of parents. We know that love from our own parents. We experience this all the time in our natural lives, and yet somehow we get into the domain of religion, and we think the Almighty God of the universe is looking for a child to do something good towards Him before He will say, okay, you know what, now I'll love you. That's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. How beautiful are the feet of them that publish the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Those glad tidings are telling you, you have a heavenly Father, and He loved you before you ever had a single, solitary, decent thought about God at all. The fact that you ever had any sentiment like that is proof positive that the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. So this is published to us. We see this in the Bible. It's declared to us, and if it's declared there, we ought to believe it. Turn over a couple chapters to Romans 14. This is an abiding peace. What I mean is that I could just declare to you the gospel, and maybe you believe that, and you, there's some measure of peace that you can have in understanding that, but there's a whole lot more you can experience by coming into the family of God and being part of the kingdom of God, experiencing it by being around His people. You know, in the secular world, there's a lot made of the notion of mentorship. If you're in a uh, corporation or maybe if you're in a sport or you're a coach or something like that, there's a lot that can be learned by having a mentor, someone who's maybe 15 years ahead of you professionally that's had a lot more experience than you've had, made a lot of the mistakes that you're bound to make, and... <laughs> you know, can come in and, and talk to you about those things. You can get counseled such that you don't make some of the mistakes that they made. You can achieve wisdom from them in secular matters so that you don't make the same mistakes that people are apt to make. Most people recognize that. Most companies that I've worked for have some sort of mentorship program where they try to get people paired up with people who are 10, 15, 20 years further down their careers and say, you guys go eat lunch together. Go talk about the problems you're having at work and, and, and talk about how you've fixed those types of problems in the past and those sorts of things because they recognize there's a great benefit in imparting that sort of wisdom. The secular world sees this all the time and yet God's people oftentimes can think, yeah, I don't really need that in the kingdom of God. I don't really need to be part of the kingdom and have that wisdom imparted to me by other Christians who have struggled with the exact same problems 
that they're experiencing right now in this season of life. I'll tell you this, even if those people don't have a solution to your problem, which that's the case sometimes, there's a tremendous amount of support and comfort just in knowing I'm not alone in this. I've got some issue I'm working through and other people have dealt with it too. And you know what? They're still moving down the tracks. They got through it. So there's encouragement even if you don't find the specific answer to your question. And that's why I call this an abiding peace that exists in the kingdom of God. Chapter 14 and verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. There is an edification, an improvement of your attitude and understanding of the world around you that only comes from being an active participant in the kingdom of God in this world in the here and now. I cannot tell you how much encouragement I have received over the time that I've been a member of this church by almost everybody in here at one point or another has said something that has been very edifying to me. And I could have missed out on a whole lot of that. So it's very important. It's abiding. And to the extent that we enter into it, we benefit from it. Look at chapter 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now look, that's the sort of affirmation you're going to get in the kingdom of God, around God's people. You get out there in the secular world that doesn't have a thought of God at all, and they're not going to build you up in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. In fact, in many quarters, they're going to tear you down and tell you, you know what, that's, that religion you believe is a bunch of nonsense, and it's just holding you back. You should be out there partaking in the garden of earthly delights, like the rest of the world. You're a fool for not doing that. It'll tear you down, and it's only in the kingdom of God that we're so frequently built up by our brothers and sisters in Christ in this affirmation. Turn over chapter 16 and verse 20, we see this, and this is a kind of a part of the benediction. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now look, there is a very real sense in which the grace of God is with you as an individual. If you're one of God's children and you're born of His Spirit, there is a grace of God that abides with you irrespective of where you are but not to the exclusion of the reality that you're tremendously built up by being in the presence of God's people. It's very, very encouraging. And if you're out there trying to function as a lone wolf Christian in this world, you're going to find it extremely difficult. The Bible describes us as sheep, right? And you get a sheep that's wandered off from the herd and you've got a problem. A sheep is a relatively defenseless animal. There's a reason that there's a safety in numbers and the care of a shepherd or the under-shepherd. And it's beneficial to God's people. So there's a sense in which we experience the grace of God more abundantly as we participate in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ founded the church and He didn't do it for no reason. So it's important that we avail ourselves of the abiding aspects of the peace that we have in Christ. 
Now, it's a given peace. Turn over to Galatians. Everybody knows this. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Peace is given to God's people. This building was given in the sense that this is your church. This is where you can come and experience these things. It existed long before I ever did. But there's things I have, I have to enter into this building to experience what's going on here. You see that? And so it is oftentimes with the fruit of the Spirit in God's life. You have it in a form. You have it in a form. But have you cultivated it? What's the produce from the seed that you were given, so to speak? I gave you the example of a field. A field may have tremendous capacity to produce fruit. There may be some wild berries growing out there on it. It's producing a little fruit, and you've got that, and you own it. But that is nothing compared to what you might produce from that land, provided you cultivate what you've been given. Again, this is a principle so evident from the natural things around us that we see. That's why the Bible uses these sorts of metaphors of families and, and fruit. These sorts of things, we understand them, in the natural sense, and yet we are often reluctant to apply them to our spiritual lives. You say, well, I'm not at peace today. Well, to what extent have you taken the peace that's been given through regeneration and through your understanding of the gospel and tried to cultivate that by being around God's people and being built up in what's declared in the Word of God? I'm telling you, there's more that can be produced there. Sometimes God's people can be unsettled, we can be not at peace simply because we have not cultivated the peace that we've been given. It's probably because we're looking to find some measure of carnal peace in something that is never going to provide it. Can't get no satisfaction. It's that same thing again, right? Oftentimes, God's people try to find peace in areas where there is no peace, and they double down on it time and time and time again. Maybe it's material things, maybe it's vacations, maybe it's the next best husband or boyfriend or whatever. There's always something better out there. Maybe if I get that, I'm going to have peace. The Bible says in regeneration, you're given peace as an attribute. Maybe we should double down on cultivating the peace we've been given and experiencing that in the presence of God's people. So it's a given peace. And finally, it is an accomplished peace. What do I mean by that? Ephesians chapter 2, what I mean is it's not a potential peace. The peace declared in the gospel is a reality. It is a pre-existing truth that is declared to you. That's the peace between God and men. It is an accomplishment. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. In other words, talking to you Gentiles, you people who are not Jews, I think that probably covers everybody in this audience here, that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a state of abject gospel ignorance. I have no idea what's going on out there. I don't know how I'm going to stand with God. I don't know anything about it. 
How am I going to have peace with God? I see that I've done terrible things in my life. How the mind might wander off into thinking, what's going to happen to me if you're dwelling in that sort of ignorance, right? Without God in the world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, made nigh. Not potentially you could become nigh. Stepped up to this limited one-time offer. But wait, there's more. With just three payments of 1995, it's not that sort of a deal. You are made nigh. Well, what was I made nigh by? That means made near to God, okay? But now ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Amen. You see that? It's not the blood of Christ plus your ratification of it. Jesus Christ didn't send a bill to your office and you had to sign it or veto it for this thing to be in action. The blood of Christ accomplished this very thing. It made God's people nigh unto God. You see why the gospel's good news? It's declaring a finished transaction. God's people aren't ratifying it. They're simply coming into an understanding of what Christ actually accomplished. That's one of the main things that separates what this church believes from what many in Christendom believe. There's not anything I could do to ever improve upon a perfect work. Jesus Christ's work was perfect. What am I going to add to it? I've given the example before that Nadia Comaneci back in the Montreal Olympics. Well, I think she was the first gymnast to ever get a 10 in Olympic gymnastics. That was a big deal. I mean, it was all over the news when this happened. And she got several of them in those Olympics. She got a perfect score. Now, you could debate, oh, I'm not sure that's really right, if anyone should ever have a perfect score. But that's what happened historically. You had judges that said that was a perfect work, is how they responded to it. What am I going to add to that routine? If I add one cartwheel to the end of our routine... Is it going to remain a perfect work? You say, that's ridiculous, Brother Dan. No one would want to see the tragedy of me trying to do a cartwheel. But if you added it to the end of that routine, I guarantee you her score is going down. And that is no longer a perfect work. Why would anyone want to rely on anything they've ever done? You've never done anything perfect in your life. But Jesus Christ has done a perfect work. Why would we want to add to it? Why don't we just accept it? The Bible says He did a perfect work, and there it is. And it was done on your behalf, and it accomplished its end. We should just stand there and say, you know what? That's good news. That's good news. It's an accomplished work. For He is our peace. He is our peace. Who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Jesus Christ made the peace. So it's peace with God. There's a peace of mind that comes from understanding and living in accordance with it. It's published to us in His Word. 
You come to the kingdom of God, you'll hear it declared regularly. And that's where you find an abiding peace because day by day and week by week you come and you're affirmed in it and you look in the eyes of your brothers and sisters in Christ who are also affirmed in it and you smile and you recognize we may have trouble here, but we're going to be in glory someday because we're relying on a perfect word. That peace is given to us, but do we make as much of it as we could? Do we cultivate the peace that we've been given by abiding in the kingdom of God? And do we really enter into the idea that it is accomplished peace? Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.